Hello, everybody. I'm Danny Boom Boom McCarthy. Welcome back, everybody, to the Story of Nowhere podcast. I'm Daniel McCarthy. Good Lord, did November fly by. I was working on a bunch of stuff, and then, out of nowhere, it hit me. It's already December, and I didn't put out a show in November. So, sorry about that. Imagine my embarrassment, especially given the fact that I've actually got some shows recorded. They need some editing yet, but still. So, I'll be putting one of those out shortly here, and it'll be featuring a special guest. Then I've got a sort of round-table discussion you'll get to hear, and some other stuff, too. So, what you're listening to now is just a little update to let y'all know I didn't decide to mic drop after the the end-of-the-world Halloween episode and vanish forever. But I also want to take this opportunity, while I'm not doing a proper show about some subject, to make an announcement. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you may recall that I've recently alluded to a big project. This big project was actually one of the things I was working on through November that kind of caused me to lose track of time. Again, sorry about that. Well, the big project is done. Eh, more or less. Put it this way, it's ready to be announced. So, should I get right to the point and tell you what it is? Or should I make a long, meandering speech leading up to the point, just to tease you a little longer? Ah, I'll tell ya. This is the beta launch of the Nowhere Library, an online bookstore available at storyofnowhere.com slash library. Up till now, the only way to support the Story of Nowhere project has been to purchase physical copies of the Story of Nowhere book. Of course, you can still do this, and I hope you do go over to my website and pick up a copy. Maybe even consider grabbing a couple copies. You know, Christmas time is coming up after all. But anyway, now there's another way to support the project, and this is the Nowhere Library. So great, you say. Another online bookstore. So what? And why did it take so long to set up? Well, skeptical listener, I'll take these two questions in reverse order. The reason it took me such a long time to get this thing ready is that I'm actually curating, formatting, and designing the covers for all of the books in the bookstore myself. And all that can be pretty time-consuming. I wanted to have a decent catalog of books available before launching, so that's why I had to take a little extra time preparing for the launch. So now, on to the bigger question, so what? Why do we need another online bookstore? For the answer to this, you'll have to indulge me in a bit of a long meandering speech, I'm afraid. You're listening to my voice right now on, probably, a computer or a smartphone. You can access the Story of Nowhere podcast anytime you want. You can go back and listen to any episode you want, whenever you want. You can go back and listen to an episode you've already heard. You can listen to my audiobook anytime you want. It's all available. Now, if you take that smartphone or computer and go over to archive.org or the Google Books website or to the Project Gutenberg website, 
you can find a seemingly innumerable collection of e-books. You can find a bunch of new books and a great, great, great many more old books. Many of these old books contain important information, the wisdom of the ages. You can find the great literary works of the world. You can find old records of old farming techniques, travelers' reports of nations now dead and gone, primary and secondary documents concerning the rise and fall of empires, state documents holding the secrets of mysterious government programs, and God knows what else. And you can check any of that stuff out anytime you want. Obviously, this is unbelievably useful. But... What if whoever runs Archive.org, or the Gutenberg Project, or for God's sake Google Books, decides that this or that text ought to be behind a paywall? I've watched this happen. I've seen freely available texts suddenly be relegated to rent-only status. You can look at it, but you can't download it onto your own personal hard drive. What if they decide that a text shouldn't be on their platform at all? I've seen this, too. Shit disappears. It happens with books, but not just books, but with articles and other forms of media, too. Gone. And what about what I'll call the Netflix problem? You just find yourself confronted with so many options, you can't possibly decide what to look at. I live this problem. What if the damn power goes out? I remember the great power outage of 03 and I can certainly conceive of our fragile grid going out for whatever reason. In any of these cases, all of which are on the table, all of the information and wisdom our incredible technology has made available will be gone. Gone. Maybe not forever, but maybe when you need it. But then again, maybe forever. Should we ever find ourselves in some dystopian scenario in which the government has gone full totalitarian and no dissent is tolerated, this system, this culture we've got of relying on electronics that themselves rely on other electronics to store precious data could make book burnings obsolete. The Gestapo won't need to come and gather up physical materials, books, and actually go to the trouble of setting them on fire in order to destroy the information within. They'll just need to push the delete button, or set up some kind of firewall. Of course, the internet could also be used against such a totalitarian system, because it's fairly doubtful that the government would actually be able to crack down on the whole thing. But I think you get my point. But in case it's still not clear, I'll put it this way. There's a lot less moving parts in a book than there are in a computer. There's no planned obsolescence in a book. There's no spyware in a book. No pain-in-the-ass updates or always-on GPS trackers in a book. The NSA can't hear you through a book. No one can remotely delete or restrict access to your physical book. There's a whole hell of a lot less that can go wrong with a book than there is that can go wrong with a computer or a tablet or a smartphone. Besides... We look at those damn things enough as it is, right? But nowadays, nowadays, we've got these libraries all over the world uploading old, useful books like mad. Primary historical documents, 
almanacs, old how-tos, great literature, plays, cookbooks, whatever. And you know, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, they actually destroy the book in the process of scanning it. Then there are the news stories and articles and government documents that you can find, for now, online. But really, don't you think it'd be best to have a hard copy? So the point, the point, the point, the point, the point of this Nowhere Library project is, as all of these various parties put stuff into the Internet, I will take stuff out of the Internet. Physical copies. Not e-books, not audiobooks. Books. Books made of paper that take up actual space on your shelf in your house that you can mark up, not with some dumbass app that highlights and underlines and bookmarks, but with a goddamn pencil. Ain't no battery in a pencil. We're going back to basics, man. So far, here's what I do. I decide on a certain book I want to print. Public domain, of course. It's got to be public domain. I don't want to get sued. But don't worry, the vast, vast, vast majority of books, certainly the majority of books worth reading, are well out of copyright. Anyway, I decide I want to print a book. I then search for the tidiest and nicest of the aforementioned scans, download it, and then go through every single page, deleting watermarks, erasing ink blotches or margin notes, realigning the text, because sometimes the scan comes out crooked, stuff like that. It doesn't always come out perfect, but I do my best, and I must say, it's all been coming out pretty good so far. Now, sometimes I can't find a scan of the book that I want. Sometimes all the available scans are just awful and unusable. Sometimes I actually just can't find one. In that case, often, I can find some kind of text-only version of the book. Then I basically just format that and put it in a nice font, and that takes care of that. Next, I design a new, snazzy, custom cover for each book. A lot of other reprint, republishing businesses I've seen just have one generic cover that they use for all their books. But not me. Every book gets its own nice new cover. Then I have the thing printed, check it over, and if it's all good, it goes in the catalog. For the time being, I am using a third-party printer. Ideally, I'd be doing the printing in-house. Good God, my wife wants to kill me. But, luckily for her, that's just not realistic right now. So, I'm outsourcing the printing and the distribution, but aside from that, I'm doing it all myself. So that's pretty much my process. Now let me tell you about what's on the catalog right now. I'm off to a modest start, but it's a start nonetheless. As of right now, not counting my own book, there are six books in the Nowhere Library catalog, which again, you can find at storyofnowhere.com slash library. I've got two more that are getting close to done, and then some others in the lineup, but at the moment, it's just the six, but I think they're pretty cool. So let me tell you what I've got. First, I may actually be most excited for this one, is... Studies in Historical Method by Mary Sheldon Barnes, originally published in 1896. This is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. 
It's a book about historical method, that is to say, how to do history. Barnes specifically wrote this book for the layman. It's intended to acquaint somebody who's not formally trained in history with how historians think and how they actually put what we call history together. Very interesting, and I'd maybe even say a must-read for those of us who do recognize the importance of actually understanding the past. Second, a good medieval history, Alcuin and the Rise of the Christian Schools by Andrew Fleming West, published in 1909. This is a biography of Alcuin of York, one of the major players in the history of European education. Alcuin lived in the time of Charlemagne, and actually worked under him, setting up a fairly uniform system of schools for the clergy. Also, interesting bit of trivia, Alcuin played a pretty significant role in the popularization of the lowercase letter. And speaking of trivia, this book also has a pretty good overview of the traditional seven liberal arts tradition, the so-called trivium and quadrivium. Third, we've got another biography of a schoolman, Charles W. Eliot, president of Harvard University, by Eugen Coinman, also published in 1909. You should remember Charles W. Eliot from episode 24. He was a progressive extraordinaire, committed reformer, and, as the title of this book says, the president of Harvard University. This very short and very favorable biography summarizes many of the thoughts, opinions, and actions of Eliot, which I think provides not only a window into his personal mind, but also serves as a kind of time capsule for early 20th century progressive ideology. Fourth, and this one's for the big spenders, The Politics of Plato. Anybody who listens to this show knows that I'm always yelling about how people need to read Plato's Republic. So, I only thought it would be right to have it on sale in my bookstore. But this volume doesn't just contain the Republic. It's got Plato's other two predominantly political works as well, Statesmen and Laws. Altogether, that makes for a pretty hefty tome. It's around 800 pages. But, there, all in one volume, is the political thought of Plato. As of now, this is the only hardcover book that I've got for sale. It's linen-bound, has a nice dust jacket, you'll love it. Fifth, this one was actually requested by someone, The Republic and the Laws of Marcus Tullius Cicero, better known to us moderns as Cicero. Cicero hasn't come up on the show yet, but he was one of the great orators of Rome around the time of Julius Caesar. These are two of Cicero's most significant political works in this volume. And yes, these two works do have the same names as two of Plato's most significant political works. This was no accident. This volume is an example of a work that I had to reconstruct myself. I couldn't find a usable scan. Sixth, last but not least, Certain Esoteric Works of Thomas Paine. This is a collection I put together of works by Thomas Paine that have been overshadowed by the likes of Common Sense, Rights of Man, and The Age of Reason. This medium-sized volume contains First Principles of Government, Agrarian Justice, you'll remember that I covered that one in episode 13, 
on the origins of Freemasonry, and an examination of the passages in the New Testament. All very interesting indeed. So there it is. That's what I've got so far, and there's more to come. But there's one other element to this that I want to mention. There are other people out there doing similar things, reprinting old books. Great. I hope they continue, and I hope they succeed. But here's an area, aside from the custom covers, where I think that I'm different. I know there's no possible way that I can, by myself, think up every book that ought to be in this Nowhere library. I'm just not going to be able to think of it all. I'm not going to know about it all. So, I have decided to take commissions. If there is a book that you think belongs in the Nowhere library, or even if you just want a physical book version of an ebook, I've set up a special email address that you can reach out to, and then from there we'll negotiate some kind of deal. Of course, I'll be charging for special requests like this. Prioritizing a request means that I'll take a break from whatever other book I may be working on, or maybe it'll mean taking up some time that I would have otherwise been spending preparing for a podcast. But we'll work something out, and I'll put together a book for you, just so long as it's out of copyright. The email address to contact for this, or for anything Nowhere Library related, is nowherelibrary at mail.com. Nowherelibrary at mail.com. I'll post it in the show notes, and you can also find this email address listed at storyofnowhere.com slash library. All right. I really hope you'll go to storyofnowhere.com slash library and check it out and maybe consider picking something up. I'm not just printing these books to make money. I know everyone says that. But notice that I said it's not just to make money. In part, it is about making money. As I wrote in my book, and as I've described in the past on the show, one of the only ways we can combat the designs of utopians is by working toward an independent livelihood, by working to use skills we have to earn a living doing what we want, what we enjoy, and what we care about, rather than having to toil the days away working for somebody else just to get a paycheck. Way I see it, we all need some money no matter how you come by it. Might as well get it by doing something you don't hate. Better still, you can get it by doing something you actually think and feel needs doing. So yeah, in part, this is about making money. But beyond that, I really do think that this is valuable and that it's worth doing. I think it's important to preserve, physically preserve, as much of the human store of knowledge that we can while we can, and then to spread it out as far and wide as possible. At this point in time, with the technology we have, we've got an unprecedented opportunity to cheaply and fairly rapidly disseminate volumes and volumes of information so that this important stuff isn't just in one central location, but rather so it's spread all over the country, all over the world. Let's not squander the opportunity. Oh, and my wife is pregnant.
Thank you. 